Good morning. Welcome to another episode of CCT Live, the Cape Cod Times Live News Facebook broadcast coming to you every Thursday at 9 a.m. I'm news editor Patrick Cassidy, and I'm joined today by Colleen Cronin, who is the Cape Cod Times news intern for this summer. We're very excited to have her here, and she's really hit the ground running with great A1 centerpiece uh, story about the dangers of fire pits already in the books. We'll talk about that, as well as the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Robert F. Kennedy, uh, an ongoing murder trial in Barnesville Superior Court, and the theft of a memorial from a Gold Star family in Mashpee. We'll also talk about a story coming up uh, on Sunday about two local businesses partnering up. Uh, you can take a look back at our past episodes and follow along at home by going to our website, capecuttimes.com uh, slash Live has all our episodes, and you can follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, as I always say, there's plenty to talk about. There's always plenty going on on Cape Cod, so we'll get right into it. Um, first of all, there's a, a murder trial going on. It started this week in Barnstable Superior Court. Uh, Christopher Fratantonio is accused of uh, killing, stabbing to death Mary Molly Fratantonio, his wife, uh, back in February of 2017. Um, in this case, uh, you know, played out pretty, in, in a, in obviously, a tragic way, but very straightforward in terms of the testimony so far, they, they chose the jury at the beginning of this week and then got right into the testimony on Tuesday. And the witnesses have basically come forward, uh, EMTs, police officers, and talked about their interactions with uh, Christopher Fratantonio right after uh, the uh, killing occurred. Um, and uh, as always, this is a case where these are allegations, but in, in this case, a lot of the witnesses basically said that he admitted to it right up front. The police said that when they talked to him, he told them exactly uh, what he allegedly did. He, they said he even said that he had actually uh, read some text messages, went and smoked a cigarette, and then uh, went up and, and uh, stabbed his wife. Um, and so there's a lot of uh, really detailed testimony about what happened there. Um, and a lot of it had to do with um, things that, uh, you know, again, can lead to obviously uh, problems within any marriage, drugs, money, uh, alleged infidelities, the sus suspected infidelity. Um, there's allegations that uh, she was addicted to drugs. Her family says that this is a, an attempt to paint her in a, in a poor light. Um, but this testimony is going to be ongoing, and it's kind of unclear at this point which way the defense is going, but it really does uh, look like a lot of the testimony so far is pretty straightforward. In a lot of these cases, you, you'll be relying on, the prosecutors will be relying on forensic evidence, but that seems to be almost secondary here when you have the amount of people who say that they were told by Christopher Antonio that he had actually uh, done it. He uh, had sent a, uh, a picture to a, a woman on a, in a text message showing Molly Fratantonio's body after after he, he had allegedly stabbed her again. Um, so it's it's an interesting case in that way and very straightforward in some respects. But as with all these uh, types of cases, it actually obviously has to play out in court. Uh, we'll be there today again. You can follow at uh, CapeCodTimes.com and get any updates on that case as, as the uh, trial moves forward. He's charged with murder and I believe assault and battery with a dangerous weapon as well. Uh, so, again, follow at keepcuttimes.com for all the updates. Uh, later on today, we'll have an update on the testimony that occurs today. Uh, seems like it's going to probably wrap up pretty quickly, but you can uh, certainly follow along there. We had a, um, a, a 
series of stories uh, Sunday and Monday in, in the Cape Cod Times. Um, uh, Sunday was actually kind of your first day, Colleen. You had uh, covered a graduation uh, on Sunday. So uh, I think that was even before you came into the office. So thanks for jumping in there. No problem. Um, but on uh, Sunday, we kicked off a, a series of stories about, uh, again, the 50th uh, anniversary of uh, Robert F. Kennedy's assassination in an L.A. hotel back in 1968. Um, and this was really well done. Just to uh, name some of the people who were involved, Cindy, reporter Cindy McCormick, reporter Kathy Scrizzy Driscoll uh, really did uh, a great job of talking to a lot of people, the access they were able to get to to actual Kennedys. They talked to um, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. I believe they talked to Kerry Kennedy. They talked to a number of, of Kennedys for this story and I talked to a lot of people who were kind of, you know, there at the time and really understood what Robert F. Kennedy meant to uh, different people. And then editors Tim Miller and Meg Burton uh, really did a, a great job along with our online crew and kind of putting together this package. It's at capecuttimes.com slash RFK. There's a family uh, history and t and uh, a family tree, if you will, that is very interactive and everybody can look at that. Uh, but a lot of it was about the uh, legacy of Robert F. Kennedy. Obviously, the Kennedy family has a lot of ties here in Hyannis and Hyannisport. Uh, and I was curious, Colleen, what kind of the Kennedys, Robert F. Kennedy uh, means to your generation, if it's not obvious to people. Colleen's a little younger than I am. But uh, what, what do the Kennedys mean to you and kind of what has your experience been in terms of, you know, uh, the Kennedys and, and the locales where they're known? I mean, uh, growing up on Cape Cod, I think that you're very aware of the Kennedys, and I think that it's kind of um, our claim to fame, Kennedy's summer here. Um, I come from an Irish Catholic family, so we're very, you know, pro-Kennedy <laughs> in my family, and I learned a lot about JFK and RFK growing up. Um, it's actually recently in Dallas, and I went to the museum that, um, you know, chronicles the assassination of John F. Kennedy, um, and I, I think the most prevalent feeling that I've always gotten about the Kennedys, um, what my parents have always talked about to me, is just how tragic everything that's happened to them is. Um, and also just, you know, the things that they tried to implement at, when they were politicians. Um, I actually met Ted Kennedy once when I was oh, really? much younger. Interesting. It was very cool. It was at one of the Pops by the Seas concert. Um, so, so right out here, yep. I actually met him for the first time out here as well. Yeah. And he would, he would walk around uh, uh, Hyannis and it really was for Hyannis and Hyannisport, like, you know, kind of royalty, if you will, walking around. So that's interesting. I wonder if we were in the same place at the same time, maybe. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, no, my, it, we were going to go see the concert and then he was just kind of around and my grandmother, she just swooned. She was so excited that she got to meet him because she voted for JFK. I'm sure she voted for Senator Kennedy in every election that he ran. For, so it was pretty cool. Well, and it's interesting. The uh, stories obviously focus a lot on, as you said, the tragedy. I think one of our headlines was Lost Hope. Uh, uh, RFK uh, was running for president at the point at which he was assassinated. There had been the assassination of his brother. There had been the assassination of uh, Martin Luther King Jr. It was a, a time of upheaval in the United States. And a lot of people did look to them uh, with, with a great deal of hope in terms of civil rights, in terms of uh, a lot of uh, social justice issues. And that continues to play out here on the, on the Cape. They have a, a golf tournament every year that raises money for the Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights Organization. Uh, there's the uh, Robert F. Kennedy uh, uh, Children's Action Corps, which has a location. Uh, one location of theirs is in South Yarmouth, where they, they help uh, young people who are in need of, of uh, mentoring and in need of uh, some some additional help. And there's been some successes there for sure. So a lot of that legacy continues to play out. 
obviously, you know, there's there's mixed feelings about the Kennedy and that beca- Kennedys, and that became apparent when we you know posted our stories and some of the reactions from people. It's been interesting to me because I think before the current atmosphere that exists now, you know, 10 years ago, even you might've had uh, some different types of reactions. It seems like the Kennedys kind of to uh, Democrats and Republicans were, were still held up by both sides of the aisle as, as somewhat of an ideal. And again, we don't know what could have been with uh, JFK or RFK had they lived. Um, But it seems like now there's, there's a even more intense reaction uh, on both extremes in terms of how people feel about them. Obviously, Kennedys are still very active. Um, Joe Kennedy the third is is a, a congressman at this point and is somebody who a lot of people are looking uh, to as kind of the future of the family's political aspirations. Um, and, and a lot of this plays out in, in Cindy and Kathy's reporting. Um, uh, but again, it was interesting to me to see the reaction. There were people who reacted very, very badly and, and didn't, didn't like hearing about the Kennedys and, and uh, have a very strong feeling in the other direction in terms of the Kennedys. And I kind of wonder if that's more the kind of current atmosphere we're in or whether it's something that you would have seen 15 years ago even. So uh, they'll continue to you know, have an impact uh, as a family and, and certainly uh, RFK and, and JFK's legacy uh, will continue to live on one way or the other. One of the things that, that struck me was that when he died, he had 10 children and another on the way. And, and again, Irish Catholic, that's, yep. you know, a big family, but that, that was kind of more traditional back then. Um, but because of that, you have this family tree and this legacy that will uh, obviously continue on um, in, a, in a living family. Um, Another story that was uh, in this week's paper um, uh, got a strong reaction as well. And this was a memorial. It was a, a life-size silhouette of a kneeling soldier um, that was stolen from the home of a family in Mashpee. And this was the McGuire's. And, and uh, the, back in 2008, uh, their son, uh, Danny McGuire, was a Marine in Iraq, and he was killed in action at the age of 19, 2008. I'm trying That's to think of how old ago. you might have been, Colleen. <laughs> it would have been, he would have been young, but he was, he was obviously, uh, somebody who a lot of people were very uh, upset at, at uh, the loss of, of Danny McGuire. His family has been, I think, fairly quiet uh, in a lot of respects over the last 10 years, but obviously dealing with that. Um, but this really struck a chord for a lot of people. The fact that somebody, um, some one person, more than one person, we're not, it's not clear at this point, would go uh, to a family's home and, and steal something like this, which, as uh, Karen McGuire pointed out, doesn't mean to anything to anybody who stole it. It doesn't doesn't really make sense that you would steal this thing because it means nothing to the person who stole it. it means quite a great deal to this family who's mourning the loss of their son. Um, so they're they're investigating it. There's been an outpouring of support from the McGuire's. Uh, there have been folks who said that they'll replace it. Um, there have been folks who said they'll help them kind of monitor their neighborhood uh, a better. And and it's a quiet neighborhood from everything everybody said. Um, but even even in this case, I, I don't think the McGuire's were were kind of looking for all the attention, but they they were wondering and, and couldn't help wondering. And I think a lot of people couldn't help wondering why somebody would do that. It just seems uh, um, something that just doesn't seem like something somebody should do. Um, you had uh, your first uh, uh, A1 centerpiece this this week, Colleen, and and this was uh, this was a story that obviously started off a little scary last week um, with a young child who was burned in a fire pit locally. Um, but you did some research on this and and on fire pits in particular. Tell me what you found and and uh, tell our viewers what you found. Um, so. Looking into fire pits was a little less straightforward than I thought it would be. Um, the state 
website gets a little tricky on definitions. Um, is it an open burning situation? Is it not? Um, up until a couple years ago, we actually found out from Deputy Chief Melanson that um, recreational fire pits that people had in their houses really weren't legal. They were unregulated. We um, found a, a um, memo from 2010 from the Department of Fire Services um, that also said that they were unregulated. But uh, talking to the Department of Environmental Protection, we realized that you know, they're not going to come out to your house every time you have a fire pit and say, you're polluting the air, please put out your fire. Um, and, you know, for the most part, it was cook fires that were allowed because, you know, functionality you should be able to cook a fire any time of the year um, without the open burning laws taking that into consideration. Um, but then doing some more research into it, uh, we found, we talked to the Department of Fire Services again, and they had some numbers from 2015 saying that um, 41 of the burns reported to them, which they get burns reported to them that are 5% of the body or more, mm -hmm. um, 41 burns came from campfires or bonfires. Mm -hmm. So that gets into the fire pit um, kind of thing. A lot of the burns were coming from people who poured gasoline into a fire pit. or No, or who threw in an aerosol can. And um, when I was talking to Deputy Chief Melanson, he was saying, you know, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse, but, you know, please don't throw anything in the fire. Please don't throw trash in the fire. You might not know what you're throwing in there. And then we've had fire pits blow up. doesn't sound like something you should have to tell people. And I'm sure, he, again, he feels like he's banging his head against the wall a little bit, uh, saying that um, this is the deputy chief from Hyannis, uh, yes. who, who you were talking to. And and as you said, he said, uh, generally, and important to note, the, the uh, seven-year-old boy who fell into the fire pit and burned himself on Friday was at the Cape Cod Resort on Route 132. He said they had a pretty good track record in terms of safety, almost perfect, and it's related to the fire pit. Yeah, he was saying that um, they've had the fire pit for at least 20 years. He thought probably even a little bit longer than that. Anytime they have a fire outside, they call um, Hyannis Fire and to get a verbal permit if the weather is too dry or too windy. Um, the fire department says, sorry, you can't have a fire tonight. Um, just, you know, to make sure that everything's safe. Um, and they have a fire hose, or not a fire hose, but a garden hose outside near the fire pit to put mm -hmm. the fire out if needed. They have staff who start the fire and who observe the fire. Um, so really the um, deputy chief was just saying that they really are very safe. Um, I know that right now the resort is investigating the incident. Um, I talked to the general manager um, and he was saying that he's seen the little boy and the little boy's doing pretty well, which That's is good, good yeah. really good to hear um, out of the whole thing. So I took a look at the fire pit myself. It's pretty far away from buildings, buildings yep. you know, chairs were far away from it. They only have one fire pit. Yep. Um, so it's not like they have multiple fires going on at once. <laughs> so it seems like it really was an accident. Yeah. And, and again, in this case, uh, hopefully he'll, he'll make a full recovery. Uh, there was another incident uh, in May. And again, this was kind of one of those things where we were talking about it and it kind of got us thinking about fire pits because not only this uh, incident that happened in Hyannis, but in Worcester, a woman, uh, uh, where it didn't end nearly as well, uh, died in a uh, fire pit that she had fallen into outside her home. She was uh, a 71-year-old woman. Um, so they are dangerous. And again, it's these, thing, these things that are in seemingly almost every backyard at this point. Everybody's either building a fire pit or wants to have a fire pit in their backyard. And it's something that I think the state and local authorities are grappling with in terms of 
Well, they're not really regulated. And you, you point out that you talked to somebody from the uh, Department of Environmental Protection who said that it's really a gray area as far as regulation. They're really responsible for clean air and, yep. and those sorts of things. Um, so they leave it to the local authorities really to, to uh, deal with, uh, again, the concerns about safety. And that yeah. would be the fire department uh, yeah. in large part. Um, so there was a lot to that story. Again, it's one of those where, um, you know, obviously a, uh, an accident um, uh, that they're still trying to figure out if there's anything that needs to be changed at the Cape Codder. But, um, but it's something where it, it happens and it's something that uh, kind of begged for some more reporting. And we were glad to have you here doing Thank that. And so I think much. our readers were really well served by your story, which went through a lot of those ins and outs. And as some folks here pointed out, it reminded them of the, uh, there was a story before your time, Colleen, uh, which would have been last week if we looked back that far. But it was uh, uh, quite a few summers ago about uh, outdoor showers and, and the fact that technically outdoor showers are illegal because they produce gray water. And if anybody wants to look at that story, they can Google outdoor showers in Cape Cod Times and gray water and find it and read to their heart's content. But it's one of those things that's so Cape Cod, you know, bonfires, campfires, outdoor showers. Really, the regulations are, are gray not just gray water, but gray in terms of the regulations as well. So uh, that's a great story. Everybody should go and read it, uh, the whole story. And, and again, it's really great to have you on board for the summer, Colleen. We look forward to a lot of uh, good stories coming out of you. Uh, looking ahead, um, the uh, Cape Cod Railroad, and uh, have you ever been on the Cape Cod Railroad? Any Many of those times. You have? Okay. It's, it seems like a fun time. And, and have you done like the dinner train or yep. something like that? So they have, they have uh, these trains, these excursion trains. Um, they're partnering up with a, a local business, Pearpont Glass. Uh, they've entered in this partnership for an excursion train that will stop at the glass business, which is uh, uh, in Sagamore, um, for a tour of the factory. That story is coming up in Sunday's uh, Cape Cod Times, uh, written by Sean uh, Driscoll. Uh, and, and in a little bit of news with Sean, he's moving on from the business department here at the Cape Cod Times. He's been our business reporter for a number of years and, and going to take a job with the Steamship Authority. That story is in today's business section as well, if you want to take a look at that. Thanks again to everybody for joining us. Tell your friends, share the link, and feel free to reach out to any of us, including Colleen, uh, if you have any story tips. Um, she's now on our fire pit beat, I guess. Uh, we're where the news starts on Cape Cod. Until next week, have a good morning and good luck.